this was a net positive to my life and I look forward to using it. If I could just not write CSS as a result. Yeah. And then once we make it, you know, our stonks are going go <laughs> to go to the moon. <laughs> Welcome everyone to another great episode of the Do Better Dev Show. I'm here with your favorite co-host, Nathan Calvang. Hey again, how's it going? It's going great. I mean, couldn't be better, really. I always enjoy how we'll talk for 30, 40, 60 minutes before this, and then as soon as you're about to start, you get this cheeky smile. <laughs> and it always just looks like, all right, he's going into podcast mode now. He's ready to introduce the show. Of course, it's my, it's my TV anchor face. You know, like an anchorman, he channels a completely different persona when he's on the TV. Yeah. So. so you have that, but for podcasting. Of course, yeah. People need to see me on the podcast. Oh. so That makes sense. Well, right? that's... Okay. Well, that's something, I guess, for our audio-only listeners. Uh, Gian would prefer if you watched. <laughs> no, you see all no his, that was supposed to be a you joke. You can see all his virtual backgrounds. <laughs> that's true. I do put in a... Like, at least... A 0.5% of effort into each background before a recording. Wow. And I'm, I'm recording yeah. from the other side of the room today, so it's a different background for me as well. That's true. If you if you like a nice moving, you're like a news reporter right now. You have the city view in the background running mm -hmm. with all the tech. Correct. Yeah. We're, we're basically just doing a proper news show. Yes. So yes, yes, in yesterday's news, news uh, in yesterday's <laughs> yesterday's news <laughs> tomorrow, um, we're three months behind. <laughs> so everybody who's listening to this in April, uh, we can tell you exactly what's happening right now on February second. Yeah. Yeah. So is are, are you okay? <laughs> no, I, I hadn't checked to see what day it was. <laughs> So I wasn't sure what. <laughs> it's all the same. Now you're just thinking weekdays now. You forgot the month. Correct, yeah. All that matters is, is it Tuesday? Do I need to stay awake for this podcast? Or can I drift off and get sleepy? Not be good at talking? No. It's the second day of the week. It's the Tuesday. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's why they're calling it. Yeah, Speak I learned that from Joey and friends. Oh, okay. Well, he seems like a smart guy. The smartest. So speaking of days of the week, Ian, what have you done with uh, last week's days? Hmm. Well, in my last week's days, I... Well, we're not doing the Do Better segment. We're doing the Cool Things segment, mm -hmm. right? Correct. Okay. Yeah, so for the Cool Things segment, one of the things that was super cool, like, like ice cool, like honey, where is my super suit? Wow, <laughs> uh, was learning how to do automation on Mac using a little combination of Ansible and other scripts. Um, the reason it was super cool for me is because I've done large-scale automation on Linux, I've done large-scale automation on Windows, never on Macs because Macs are expensive and iPhone development and iOS stuff is expensive in general and I've worked for poor companies. So now that I'm working for a company that has money, uh, we have this huge fleet of Mac uh, Mac minis and we needed to have certain products installed on everything so finally I was able to install it. Surprisingly it wasn't all that 
hard because it is like Unix as the base. So anything I used for Linux pretty much translated over to Mac with some tweaks. Um, certain softwares don't support it out of the box and I can't just brew install everything because there's limitations when you're in an enterprise network or whatnot. But um, it was really cool because now I can officially add that to my DevOps mindset. I can nice. say- Always improving. That I've, yeah, I've done every single operating major system, major operating system um, automation. Hmm. So I'm pretty, pretty happy about Have it. Have you ended up doing anything with Amazon's Mac? servers you mentioned it a few shows ago we will be this is the quarter um, unfortunately one of my colleagues is working on another major Mac provider mm -hmm. so it just made sense that he tests that in addition to AWS instead of two, two people uh, working on different uh, epics mm -hmm. so I've been reassigned to another project that we should be finishing and working on and focusing um, but I'm looking forward to check, I still get to check in with him every few weeks, see if he's running into any blocks, see if I can help him, um, and if he can teach me, which I would be looking forward to that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a shame not being able to brew install everything, because that's my favorite. Every Pretty much <laughs> any package I ever want to install, I just punch it in with, into Google, like brew, install, whatever I'm looking for, and see if it exists. And if it does, just go that route and add it to my, uh, dot files repo so it can just automatically install in the future. It's the best. If you're not using Brew and you're on Mac, you should look into it because it's super convenient. Yeah, it'll brew your life into I'm going to move on and <laughs> go with my <laughs> interesting thing from the last week, which is actually from the week before, and I forgot to mention it last week, which is Frontend Masters put out a course on XState, which is a state management tool for Frontend that uses finite state machines. And I'm not currently subscribed, but I'm on their email list still because whenever they get enough courses I'm interested in, I'll buy a month and then go through some of the courses that I like. So I stay on their list so I see these things come through. and. I immediately went to the docs and decided to check out XState, see what it was all about, and it looks great. Uh, it's something I hadn't thought too much about as far as whether or not I should be including finite state machines as a mental model in UIs, but it makes a ton of sense because you can essentially just write little rules for how your application should behave. And with that in the back of my mind, I have been writing out an overly complicated UI the last week or so, and I don't think it was ne it needed to be this complicated, but that's how it was designed, so now I'm building it that way. And even though I didn't end up using a finite state machine, because this idea was in my head, I actually ended up just writing out by hand, like these are the different states, and this is how they would transition between those states to actually wrap my head around what I was supposed to build not using a finite state machine. So I ended up just using a standard use reducer pattern to build out the different states and just had it super declarative. Like if you're in this state, these are what all the variables are set to. And if you're in this state, this is what all the variables are set to. Um, but getting my head around how to, what those states need to look like ended up working really well uh, by writing it out as a finite state machine. So 
I wouldn't necessarily always reach for that, but it was top of mind. I happened to be using on a, or working on a complex UI at the time that had a lot of state in it, and those two things worked out really well. So I would recommend checking out XState, see if it's of interest to you or it could be useful in a project, because I think depending on the kinds of UI you're building or how your brain works, it could be a good alternative to other state management patterns that you might be using on the front end right now. Very cool. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, that like when I was looking at it, to some, I, it, in theory, it made sense to mm -hmm. me, and then I was like, I don't know if there's a practical use for me, so I just moved on. Yeah. So but then I'm not a front end dev. I so. I don't love the whole use reducer dispatch pattern, and I don't. I'm gonna get this wrong, but I think that's what's called the flow or the flux pattern, something like that. Um, but I do really like the mental model around a finite state machine. So for those who aren't familiar, the most basic example I saw was if you were to build a finite state machine for a light bulb, it could be something like you have your different states, on, off, and broken. And then you can say the action that you can take at each of those steps and what state that would transition it to. So you would say if it's off and you want to toggle it, you would send the toggle action in and it would say from on, if you toggle, you will go to off. And if you toggle from off, you will go to on. If you send the break action from and you're in the state on, it will go to broken. If you send the break state or action to the off state, it will go to broken. And no matter what you send to broken, it's broken. So it just stays in broken. And so there's, it's these really simple little mappings between different states that makes certain problems much more easy to reason about than what I think the use reducer pattern tends to do, which is give you a bit too much flexibility to combine things. Um, because essentially it just gives you a big mutable object and then you determine how to change it. So it could be good, as I said, and I don't want to dwell on this for too long, but I really liked it. It was the first time in a while something a new pattern on the front end immediately looked appealing and someone didn't have to sell it to me. So uh, I wanted to share. Have you looked at um, callbacks? <laughs> it's like my favorite pattern on the front end. What? I've never... You can chain them. I've... So it's like callback within a callback. Within oh, a callback. wow. Nested callbacks? That sounds so great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is you do get to keep a lot of lexical scope. So that is nice, actually. Uh, yeah. And I, I like I like it so much. I call it the callback heaven. I I, I think it's an uncoined term. At the yeah, moment. nobody else would use that. Because I I think you might be the only one on that trend right now. That would explain why my front end app takes forever to load and Chrome gives me out of memory error. <laughs> but you know what? It looks it works great. Mm. When you open in your IDE, it's just like this nested <laughs> thing that you have to keep keep following. Yeah, and yeah, I love it. Yeah, don't follow these patterns, listeners. If you can't tell, again, it's joking. Nobody uses nested callbacks like that, or at least they shouldn't. And nobody who's a pro. Yeah, they just need to get good. <laughs> they just need to get good. Yeah. <laughs> but very cool. Uh, yeah, state machines are great because you know. For some people, at least, I think you and I inclusive, uh, really like that logical approach of just X to Y. 
action happened, change state. Mm -hmm. This is our state. Yeah, I like it a lot better than something that can just mutate one of the properties. I like the idea of saying, I sent a toggle action and I know the only thing that can happen from this state and I know the only thing that can happen from this state and it's, it's limited. So it's not like you can end up in a state that shouldn't exist, which is the thing I like about it. Where if you just have a bunch of variables you can change arbitrarily, then you can accidentally create a state where this is on and this is off and they weren't supposed to be at the same time. But if you have your defined states and your defined transitions, you know the limited number of states you can be in, which is a great way to keep things from introducing accidental bugs when customers actually use it. Because as we've dis discussed before, uh, customers are way better at testing than you are. Yeah, they're the most expensive QA you'll ever get, but they're really good. <laughs> they're really good. They find all the bugs. Every single one. Uh, every single one. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, that wraps up the cool tech of the of the week. Yeah. Segment. Did you have insert a dramatic sound here? Bum, 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 bum. Love it. Could you tell I did that with my own mouth? Whoa. No, <laughs> this is, no, it, there was, there was an instrument, come on. Yeah, okay, you got me. <laughs> You're no acapella genius. Maybe one day. Maybe one day. Yeah, this is why you're doing podcasts, right? That's right, yeah, I trained my voice. So, um, today, as stated at least, we're going to see how well we can do. We're going to try to talk about data structures. Are we going to talk about algorithms too or just data structures? Let's stick with data structures for now because algorithms can have its own episode. Sure. There's a lot more things there. Yeah. yeah. And keeping the medium in mind in that we are on an audio-based podcast, there's only so much you can do as far as these technical topics are concerned. But what we're thinking is discuss some of the common data structures that we work with, where we use them and maybe ones that we don't use as often but are still really important to know. Who knows how long this will go? It might not be as long of a discussion as some of our other ones, but uh, it's an important topic that will definitely come up pretty much every day. So, uh, yes, yeah. and the challenge for us will be explaining each one of these data types into the simplest terms possible. Okay, Ooh, okay. Like you could teach your six-year-old nephew all about data structures tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, this is the challenge. We have to stick to it. Okay. I will keep that in mind. So, uh, cool. lead by example, Gan, what is the first data oh. structure that you have, and how can you explain it to apparently my six-year-old nephew? Well, the first data structure I have is an array. An array is a list of elements, and if I were to explain it to a six-year-old, I would say an array is kind of like a group of friends all sitting in a chair lined accordingly. Chairs are numbered from 0 to 5, not 1 to 5 because that's dumb and any language that does that should be banned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and any kid who's sitting on any of those seats, then you can label it by them and just say, hey, kid sitting on seat number 3, come here. And that's how you store things. Right. Yeah, so you can get constant time access by index, and you can store things in an ordered way. I think 
those are kind of the two big things for yeah lists. and you can't leave uh like there's no gaps in array right so everything yeah they're they're all in a sequence so if the kid from seat number two has to get up seat number four and five kids will shift mm -hmm. yeah and is the technical definition of an array a single data type and then a list is mixed I think so. I think the so list and every so the data structures or types that I've at least noticed are like the higher level ones, and then list is just like a different type of array, just like B trees are just different type of trees mm -hmm. kind of thing, right? And then each language has their own little flavor uh, of how those data structures are represented. So yeah, I I would say that's true. Um, I just stated like high-level things of this is what an array is. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's perfect that you started with an array too because there was a very short period of time early on when I first started writing code where every problem I saw, I went, oh, this is an array problem. I can solve this with an array. And I don't even know how I could have come up with some of these solutions to force it to be an array, but I was just Every time I'd read a problem that I was trying to solve, I would think, oh, I bet you I can solve this with an array. And I grew out of that pretty quick. It was really only a couple weeks. But I remember that period of time just getting, like having no other way of imagining a problem being solved other than just, oh, I can throw it in here and then I can look it back up. It was as if I'd never heard of any other way of storing or looking up data uh, of variable length. So. Uh, Why would you need to? Exactly, yeah. Array is the most superior data type. <laughs> done. We're done with this podcast. Right, yeah, you need no other ones. Uh, so anyway, point is, if you're at that, that stage, it, somehow you found this podcast. Uh, there are more data types out there, and, and we'll talk about them. And I guess the most natural one to go to next would be a dictionary, as it's called in Python, or an object in JavaScript. It's a key-value pair. And so, in higher level languages, it's called a hash table mm -hmm. because you do hash, work on it. Some people, maybe. <laughs> uh, I actually was wondering about that. So, the because I know that in, or I don't know, as I remember in Ruby, they're just called hashes. And I was, I actually have no clue. And I know in Java, they're called a hash map. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And I was thinking that um, a key value pair is kind of a generic name for this data structure. And then a hash map, in my mind, was like, if you're going to hash some values, you know where in this hash table it will end up. And then you can do a linked list at each of those uh, keys to get your value. And so that's to avoid collision. So like if you have a collision where the two things hash to the same value, then you throw them into a linked list and then go through the list to look for whatever you're looking for. And so in, at least as I understood it, that was the specific definition of a hash map. Um, but the general concept that I'm trying to get at here is the one that's most common and use it pretty much every day, all the time, is some sort of key value store and where the key is going to either be a integer or a string and it allows you to point at some piece of data in a unordered collection so i guess 
how would I explain this to a kid? <laughs> if essentially, I guess, if you had a group, it would be like having a group of people, and you know their name, and you just call their name, and you get them back. Uh, and exactly, yeah, you don't know anything else about them at the time, but once you once they show up, then you get to learn more. Uh, so that's how that can work. And the benefit there is you get constant time lookup by key, and it. The ch difference with an array is it's not, or a difference with an array is that it's not ordered. Um, there's an ordered dict in Python, but in general, they're not going to have a deterministic order. So you're kind of just throwing them into like a pile and saying, these are some values I want to store together and I want to be able to get them in a constant time. Yeah. Your six-year-old nephew is going to be so smart. So smart. <laughs> it's gonna, they're going to be like, did you go to a boot camp? It's like, no. I just listened to the no, Do show. Because if you did, you wouldn't know about the data types. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that would be an interesting discussion at some point that we could have on the show, is if you should go to a boot yeah. camp and what the benefits are and what you don't get versus what you do get. Because they are useful. 100%. But they get people employed and... and you know. But there's more to it than that. So there, yeah, there is more to it than that. Uh, and yeah, maybe we can even have guests from bootcamp. We could. I think we know a few. Uh, we do know a few. That'd be great. Um, all right, then the next data type that I really like—it's not my favorite. Okay. But I really like yeah. it—are stacks, which are essentially just arrays, but they have the. The one of the first abbreviations you learn in programming that makes you so happy is being like LIFO, which stands for last in, first out. Mm -hmm. So the way I would explain it to my six-year-old, if I had, uh, <laughs> is there is a stack of books, and there's books on top of each other, and then you put another book on top, but before you can reach to the book on the bottom, you have to remove all the ones from the top because it's stored that. Mm -hmm. That's how a stack works. Yeah, and stacks are super useful for a lot of different algorithms. Uh, things like palindromes. If you see a problem where it's asking about palindromes, stacks are often really useful for that. Um, they're used in pretty much all higher level languages for creating what scope you're in. So for example, Python's indentation essentially just represents where you are in the stack. Um, so if it's further indented, then you're in a certain lexical scope that's further up in the stack. And then as you go further down, it's just going to pop off the stack. Uh, and that's where you get your context from. So they're something I don't use nearly as much unless I'm doing, you know, leak code grinding or something. But they are so integral to a ton of the stuff that we do as programmers, and you should know about them. Yeah, and the first, just very quickly touching on the term you uh, throw in there, popping. Um, yeah, the general terminologies with stacks that are used is when you put in the information on it, it's called pushing, and when you take it off, it's called pop, which is just the cutest thing ever. And there's also a peak, technically, where you can peak it. Is that the very? Where you peak at the top value of the stack, but you don't pop it off. Wow, mm -hmm. I actually did not know about that. That is why it's, you need to read your Kraken the Coding interview when you are on your flight. Uh, no. <laughs> That's why I know these things. 
I have three other books that are sitting that I will be reading on the flight because they're significantly more interesting. <laughs> and I'll actually, I don't need to return, retain the information from them. True. Yeah, it's much easier. I can't reading. imagine being like half knocked out on two melatonins trying to like remember a coding thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, just reading the bit shifting chapter while tr trying to stay conscious on a flight. Yeah, that'll work out. <laughs> All right, well. So what's your next? Well, I guess. You know, if you're gonna go stacks, I may as well go queues. So, nice. stacks, you had your last in, la first in, first out. No. Last in, last first in. out. It's <laughs> like I'm approaching this all wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, just remember, guys, he has like close to five years of industry. That's right. And with a queue, you have your first in, first out. So, if you put something into the queue, that's going to be the first thing that comes out of the queue. And the queue can grow, the queue can, queue can shrink, but it's always going to stay in that order. And at least generally speaking, that's how they're set up to work. And that works just like a line in a store. If you get in the queue or the line, like we say in North America, then you get in the line. Ideally, people aren't cutting in front of you. You get to go. Uh, if you're the first person in line, you're the first person to go. Second person will be the next person to go, and so on. And this is, again, fairly useful for things like navigating other data structures. So it comes up a fair bit if you're trying to iterate through or navigate through a tree of some sort, and maybe there's like n level n numbers of ch ch uh, children and you just need to keep on pushing into a queue and process the queue until it's empty, and that way you've checked all the nodes. Uh, that's a common way of doing it, and something Yang would like about it is it's not necessarily going to be recursive because you just get to process a queue. So you can iteratively navigate through a tree, and that would be breadth first, I believe. And so you would look at the first node, NQ, all the children, and as you process each child, you enqueue all their children. And you'll go just down through the tree, side to side. So if you're ever asked to do a breadth first search, take a look at queues and see if they can help you out. Yeah, and that's uh, one of those things when I was first learning English words. Where I was just like, you can just say the word queue and spell it with just the first letter. You don't even need the U, U, E. Right. You know, it just doesn't make any sense, but whatever it's there and an honorary mention double q uh sorry dqs uh which are just q's but you can take stuff off from both ends if you really want it uh don't do that because you know why would you it's like burning the candle at both ends it's just i guess that's good for optimization it's good, good if you're a rock star. A large, you could oh man that'd be so good you're like Everybody's yeah. looking for the Rockstar programmer. I'm just being like, I clear the queue from both ends, and they'll kn they'll know <laughs> it's a big deal. Is is that on your is that your LinkedIn bio? <laughs> I mean, it could be. <laughs> right now, it just says what my job is. But boo, yeah. make it interesting. Yeah. That's how that's how you know recruiters have read it when they message you, so that it's not just a mass message. Yeah, well, yours is more interesting than most already. So <laughs> that's how I know if they actually read yeah. it. That's how they get my attention. So if you want to message me, read it. <laughs> uh, 
Um, okay, now my favorite data structure. Okay. Not because I use it a lot. The one I actually use it all the time is a hash map hash tables, which I, which are my actual usage favorite, mm-hmm. but linked lists. They are the cutest data structure in my head because of how I was taught how they work. So in technical terms, in a linked list, you have a bunch of nodes. Nodes contain information about something and they know the next node to them. So the first element only knows the location of the second, the second only knows about the third, and they're all just linked in the single chain. There's also doubly linked list and others, but at the very base, that's what happens. The way I was taught about them, however, was you go to a movie theater and your teacher, it's like the buddy system. Your teacher gives you a list of your your ticket and who you're sitting with and then they get a ticket of who they're sitting with and that that's how you have a buddy who you can sit with and know where they are at all times and so that's how then everybody is accountable for everybody else uh, because if the queue get uh, the linked list gets corrupted at any point the teacher is in trouble a child is missing and that's <laughs> right there's just a null pointer exception because Timmy got lost Ah, man, Timmy, just ruining everybody's movie experience, you know? Yeah, we don't want that. I'm really surprised that that's your favorite. It's the cutest one, because that's, that's, it's the one where the teacher and the book actually put in an effort on explaining. Mm -hmm. Everything else was just like, okay, this is the structure, this is how you store things, move on with your life. (laughs) This is the only one where there's like this whole paragraph of the story. And I was just like, thank you. Thank you for making this just a little bit fun. Gave you some good prose. Huh. Yeah. Yeah, there was that uh, computer organization and structure book, whatever it was called, that I was reading there for a while. I appreciated that book because it would be super dry and then it would have a one-off, one sentence of random humor. And so you'd just be reading, it'd be like 40 pages of dry seriousness and then it would say something like, after they invented USB, because they had nothing else to do, they made USB 2. I'm like, all right. Like, it's, it's one of those unnecessary little phrases, but it makes me remember it now. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's what they did. After they made USB, they made the second one. Uh, and it's not a super interesting fact, but it stands out to me as part of the book because it was that little bit of personality. Wait. Does that transfer over to USB 3 then? I don't know. It wasn't in the book. Oh, okay. Maybe they had better things to do. Maybe. <laughs> now, we'll just never know. Yeah, yeah never know. Uh, oh. And, yeah, linked lists. Linked lists are good. Um, they have... They are used in... Or, sorry. Navigating a linked list has one of my favorite features of an algorithm because it's such a simple thing. But when you understand it, it's so handy, which is finding the middle of a linked list where you have the runner pattern, where you have the fast runner and the slow runner. And so, oh, I'm, su- I'm surprised you haven't heard this before. So the way you find the middle of a linked list is you have two pointers and one of them increments by one each time and the other one moves forward by two each time. And then once the fast runner has reached the end of the list, you know the other one's at the middle. And so if you ever need to do, again, is this linked list a palindrome? That's how you get to the middle of the linked list. And if you're throwing them on a stack as you go, then you, the slow runner just pushes things onto the stack, 
once the fast runners hit the end, you just start uh, popping things off the stack, comparing them to the uh, next element in the list, and that'll tell you if it's a, a, a palindrome or not. And it's, it's so simple, but it's so nice. And it uses a couple data structures we've talked about. So these things all come together. Wow, that is really cool, actually. I'm realizing uh, that I should not be this excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you should be. Now that I know of this, I don't think I'll ever forget. Wow. Uh, the slow, fast runner analogy. I just, yeah. Um, also, I think linked list was the first data structure where I didn't absolutely hate writing the recursion because it's just so simple of, all right, look at myself, look at who I know next. The moment I am somebody who doesn't know where <laughs> next is, we're good. We can exit out and we're done with this mm -hmm. list. And yeah, the whole while next is not equal to null, it's just iterating over it so easily, so quickly. So clean, so elegant. There's also a really cool algorithm. I think I put this one in my favorite algorithms post on nwcalbank.dev where it's a way of finding a cycle in a linked list where you use the same thing, a fast runner and a slow runner. And once if you just iterate through until either the fast hits the end, which means that there is no cycle, or they end up on the same node, which means that there was a cycle and they ran into each other. And it's such a simple thing, but if you don't know that little trick, you're like, oh, I, I actually have no idea how to solve this. And then as soon as you, as soon as you realize that, it's like three or four lines of code, and it makes so much sense. So those are, those are the things I like about algorithms. I really don't like the big complicated ones that some people get interested in. I like these simple ones that are so cool and use just quirks of the data structure. So The simple jack algorithm. The what? Simple jack algorithm. Yeah, simple simple's good. It's the way to go. Simple is great. Uh, so I guess another data structure that I actually use quite a bit is a set. And so a set is a collection of unique items. And I don't know if there's many more rules around it other than that, but if... I don't think so. Because it's just a mathematical concept mm -hmm. ported over to CompSci. Right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you are <laughs> if you're working with a li a language like say JavaScript that doesn't do a great job at giving you things baked into the language that you'd like to use, like the ability to deduplicate a list or something like that, uh, you can just throw something like those values into a set. If you're working with especially a known quantity of data, like, oh, it's only going to be 25 elements or something like that, just throw it into a set. Now you have unique ones. Throw it back into an array and continue on with your day. So it's one of those, one of those data structures that I tend not to use a ton in the front end, and I'll occasionally end up using them if I'm Writing some, it tends to be with more, uh, like if I'm writing some Python and I need to join a bunch of data from disparate locations that are related in some way, oftentimes they end up getting pushed into a set to avoid duplication. So it's like if this user knows a bunch of stuff and this user knows a bunch of stuff and it's not think something where I can just do a distinct query on it, then oftentimes if I'm iterating through attributes, it's nice to be able to just throw it into a set because you can say, 
for everything in this user, everything in this user, just add them to the set, and then at the end, process the set, and you don't have to worry about duplicates. So it's one of those nice, uh, nice things. And yeah, also they don't have ordering, so you don't get that, but you get uniqueness. So they're very useful. Yeah. Yeah, said. Yeah. It pretty much covered everything that I know about sets. Um, all right, then the next one I'll touch on, um, which is a favorite of yours, um, is trees. Okay, I was like, I'm going to be surprised if it's anything other than trees after that intro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, trees are great. They have a whole bunch of nodes. Things start at the root node, and it goes up. Because in computer science, um, trees are upside down <laughs> <laughs> when you visualize them. And... Yeah, you can't do anything about it, and that's okay, because you know why? Why everything's gotta go up, down to up? Yeah, gotta come from up to down. Yeah, there's yeah there's a YouTube channel that has been recommended by YouTube to me many 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 times, and I always held off on watching it until it rec they recommended a video called uh, Fizzbuzz in Haskell. You suck at programming. And I watched it, and it's the the channel is Ben Awad or Awad, and it's the most deadpan, like satirical, dry programming humor I've ever seen. But he recently did a video about inverting a binary tree, because he was on this other guy's channel and doing like a mock interview, and the guy asked him to invert a binary tree, and he reads the problem. He goes, wait. This is what you have to do. You have to flip it horizontal. I thought you had to flip this thing vertically. And so once he realized it was really easy, he ended up knocking it out really quick and made this video, You Suck at Programming. But highly recommend checking it out because it's the most ridiculous. He solves it with CSS first is the thing and goes on to, goes on to use some other languages. But uh, just he totally mocks the entire interview process and why you get asked all these questions. So I was a fan. I was impressed. It was one of those channels that looked like a channel I would hate, and it ended up being great. So check that out for a great take on binary trees, or, or specifically binary trees in that case, but trees in general. And again, I'm going to have to clip that bit of you saying, trees are great, because you've now said it. It's on video. Assuming That's you true. actually send me your audio, I will have the audio for it as well, and it will live in infamy. Yeah, we'll we'll make a ringtone out of it. Here, I'll, I'll I've said it before. Now that I'm sticking to it, I'll say it again. Trees are great. They're Nathan's favorite data structure, and everybody should love them. Nice. Yeah, uh, trees are are really great. They're great for storing data that you need to look up quickly. Uh, if you're working with something like the DOM, it's a big tree, and tons of. What is the DOM, Nathan? It's the document object model. Is a representation of the HTML that you're writing and working with in the browser. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah, and my favorite type of tree is binary tree. They're so simple. I love that you don't have to bother with a list of children, and then you can usually just process it recursively instead of doing a queue and everything. Although I, I do like the queue approach, so I can't even complain about that now that I say it. Trees are just great all around. Uh, unless you're being asked complicated rebalancing or rotating trees, 
in interview questions. But if you're not doing that sort of thing and you're just using them as they're meant to be used and uh, not as a like as if you're building a library to support these sorts of things, then they're excellent, and I highly recommend using them. Yeah, because there's tons of really smart math and other oriented people who have already built these libraries for us. Exactly. So all we need to do is just import B-Tree. <laughs> yes. And use it. Yes. Uh, I don't know if I have any other... I've just been doing this off the top of my head. Uh, what other... Come on. All right, give me a second. I'll th I'll th it starts with a G. Well, I was going to go with tuple. It's a graph. Oh, a graph. See, I was just going I was going to go with a tuple. I was like, I've got one more. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. So a graph like we discussed before, it a tree is the type of graph and you've got a collection of nodes that are connected by what's called edges and it essentially allows you to go from one node to the other. But the thing about graphs is that they're not specific in structure like a tree so they can be essentially arbitrarily connected and that's about it most it's interesting you think about it like that because in my head i think of graphs as linkless but they're just linked to anything they could be linked to each other there is no direction they're not bi or unidirectional they're just i will talk to any node I feel good about and they're just linked together like that and I suppose at that point they're not really a list yeah so they're just linked madness linked that's madness. what graphs right are. yeah they're highly relational so I've been doing that AWS course and the guy's explanation of Neptune which is a graph based database was explaining how it's for highly relational data so for something like if you are doing a social network and you want to be able to tell, you want to be able to quickly get a list of all the comments and likes from somebody's group of friends across some collection of posts. So it's like you've got this person, you need all their friends, but you need all their friends' comments, you need all their friends' posts on certain things, and you need to aggregate all that together. A graph gives you a way of connecting all that data without having to do a lot of the things that you would get from like a relational database where you've got these in, um, tables sitting between them that say how you connect to these different things and then you're trying to join across a bunch of different tables. So it's a more efficient way of storing highly relational data. Is that the exact use case from Cambridge Analytica? Is that where you got <laughs> No, no, I'm not, uh, I'm not certain that that's the case. Uh, okay. I will claim plausible deniability. <laughs> Cool. Tuples, though. Yeah, they are kind of like lists of a known length that have types that are known at each index. So, for example, you could have a pair, which is a type of tuple that has two values in it, and it could be a tuple of like a string and a number. And that would mean the first value needs to be a string, and the second one needs to be a number. That's pretty much it. You can have them of different lengths. You can have them three long, four long. Typically, though, they're like two or three from what I've seen. And do you have anything to add about that? I don't really have much to say about them. <laughs> no, their tuples are just like they're representative of two or three things together. Because everything data types have tried to do is just have some logical way of organizing your mm -hmm. data. So 
people's just yet another way i like to think of them as best friends uh hanging out together so most of the time there's two sometimes there's three i like how you just anthropomorphize uh, all these stereotypes just like of course, these are like people how else is my six-year-old nephew gonna be smart? <laughs> right i uh, yeah the thing i always think of for tuples tuples i'm never sure how to say it anymore is <laughs> GIS. zip zip and unzip where you've got an array or two you've got you can go from a pair of arrays to an array of pairs and vice versa by zipping and unzipping the data and ever since i learned about that back when i was doing the learn you at haskell for great good and implementing that in javascript it's like this is cool i like this and pairs are surprisingly useful um, whether sometimes you're for example i guess the, a common case where that might come up is if you're dealing with object.entries in javascript and you get it's just an array at that point because javascript doesn't have explicit pairs but you get the key on one side which will be a string and then whatever the value is uh, as the second element and your list will be in a, a list of pairs but then if you want to split it into keys and values then you could do something like unzipping it and it would turn it into two arrays of those values so it's cool it's a good data type to know about because it's a common abstraction that again you could infer that it's useful when you come across a situation where you're like i just want to put these two things together but you can know ahead of time. That's a thing that everybody else has already figured out, and it's called tuples or tuples. T U P L E. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just find the only way to fight the good fight, the pronunciation oh. battle is make up your own. So it's tuple. 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 That's like bubbly. Exactly like bubbly. <laughs> Uh, Michael Tuple. <laughs> oh no. It's my favorite singing data type. Um, but the most common or the my last favorite usage that I used of tuples was tuples are very use, very much used in Python. That's the most language I've seen it used across anything mm -hmm. else. And I was trying to adapt Go's error return pack method of yeah. either return the return value or an error. So all my methods then had the I had a tuple as a return value. Yeah. Sorry, tuple uh, as a return value, and it was pretty great. That's um, a really good point. I forgot about implicit tuples that where you just return a couple values separated by a comma, and yeah, you get two return values, which is just a tuple. Yeah, tuple. <laughs> I'm sticking with it. All right. Now. Well, you're committed. It's, it's yeah. I am. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think those are all the data types I had. The one one I thought was an honorary mention that I know you would love to explain is tri. Oh no! Yeah, so this is Our tree. This is a specific kind of tree, also called a prefix tree. Mm -hmm. And so, if you are, for example, typing something into a search box, and it wants to predict or not predict, it wants to provide matching results for what the rest of your query could become, it could use a prefix tree, which as the name suggests, is for taking an input and then creating a subset of potential results. The way that this is structured 
is you'll have a root node, like, a, like any tree, and then you have all the different, I guess, letters of the alphabet at that point, or whatever characters you support, and then if there's a word that can continue to the next letter, then the next letter will be linked to that letter. So you have something like, uh, if you're doing my name, first letter would be N, it would link to an A. And if that was a complete word, there would e that would either also be indicated on that node or there would be a star node after that. That would say like, this is a complete word. I think it's normally on the node itself just to make it easier to navigate, but I've seen it diagrammed both ways, so maybe, it, maybe both are an option. Uh, but since NA is not a complete word at that point, then you would go to a T. Um, I guess I need something that would be partial. So if you had like, if you're doing catch and you got to C-A-T, it's like, this is also a word. This word is cat. And so the T would mark the end of a word and then would also link to the C and then that would link to the H and that would say this is also the end of a word. And so you end up with a very uh, space efficient way of storing strings that can be easily matched by a prefix and you also get really quick lookup with those strings. So if I were searching for a CAT to search for catch, it could just eliminate 25 of the other nodes immediately and just go straight to the C, eliminate a bunch more by going to the A, and very quickly find what could be the rest of the results, which at that point would be whatever words start with CAT. Cathartic. Yes. Okay. Yeah, seems like a great use case for a dictionary. No. What? Not not dictionaries. The data oh. type. Dictionaries as the real life object <laughs> okay. to translate. Okay. Using. Yes. I was gonna say, what are you thinking? <laughs> you don't want all the possible prefixes in the world to be a key, in your dictionary. <laughs> That's the point of a prefix tree is to avoid that. My computer just has a lot of RAM. I my my dictionaries. You know. <laughs> Huge. Biggest dictionaries. <laughs> Everyone agrees. Yep. Which would you rather have? A search that is efficient or O to the one? If my dictionary just has everything beforehand, right. I just do a key match. Yeah. Yeah, so this is this is what Gian's hinting at is the trade-offs in space and time complexity. <laughs> and uh, yeah, if you have infinite space and all you care about is speed, then I suppose you're correct. Yeah. And if you have a lot of space and you don't care about speed, you can have an array <laughs> for every, of every single dictionary. <laughs> and just go through it every time a user types. The Correct. Word. Yeah. The benefit there would be you would know what index it was at, and that's about it. Exactly. And then I can cache that index in a Redis server. Except um, that you're not looking up yeah. by index. Oh, I guess I suppose, yeah, if you're looking up by the word and then cache the index. Right. Yeah. This is smart. This is the DevOps, <laughs> DevOps Take mindset. The DevOps mindset. Take poor performance and just throw Redis at it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that not all of your AWS course? That's what they do. They're like, oh, website slow, CloudFront. Oh, database slow, local caching. Oh, web app slow, caching. That's that's all. Prod is slow. Read replica. Done. Uh, T 
table has too many things. Drop table. <laughs> fast. It's real fast now. <laughs> you don't even have to store all the indexes. It's such an improvement. If you don't have a data, you don't have a data problem. You're not wrong. Yeah. Many of you at this point may be wondering how I still have a job. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've somehow managed to lie my way into many jobs. Yes, both listeners are very surprised that you're still employed. <laughs> both listeners, yes. All right, I guess, uh, do you have any other uh, data No, I mean, there's the subtypes of all these, like doubly linked lists and those sorts of things, but... I don't really want to talk about them. They just if if you if you're interested, if some of these sound interesting and you don't already know about them, you can look them up. But yeah, we've kind of covered the the basic ones uh, and hopefully made it clear which ones are actually common to use and which ones you just need to kind of know about, like a prefix tree. Unless you're doing an interview with a certain Canadian company, you probably don't need to know about it. That's true. Because even if you do, it's not going to matter. It's not going to matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Unfortunately yeah. true. Cool. Uh, I will then move us on to our awesome next segment of the do better, just do better. Heck yeah. So what, what did you do better and what are you going to do better? All right. So I was supposed to do better or not supposed to. I'm going to be doing better by the end of March, which is now passed for the listeners. Uh, by replacing things that are old and battered and need to be replaced, like how I replaced my socks before last show. Uh, I was planning on going to get shoes, and then I had to decide between getting groceries and getting shoes. And so I just got groceries. And so at that point, Mac was already closed, which is where I wanted to go get shoes. So I don't have shoes yet, but I will. So I... I didn't do better there, but that one's got a longer time horizon, so I'm okay. Uh, one thing I That's did true. do that was, I think, better is generally just like a nice person thing was I helped one of my friends move over the weekend. Oh, nice. And I was remarkably sore afterwards. We were carrying a bunch of furniture, and being on the shorter side, there's a lot of like curling of things you have to do to hold things higher when other people can hold them with straighter arms. So yeah, for the last couple days, my biceps have just been so sore and I have been very careful in my training to not do anything that could risk a tear. Cause I'm like, if they're gonna get hurt, now's probably the time after carrying couches a few times and whatnot, but uh, it was good. Got some pizza out of it. You, and did you not assert dominance by Lifting it over your shoulder and then letting them curl? Well, I... Something? No, I just showed up and did it all for them and showed them that I need their help. Uh, oh. Yeah, that's how you That's how you really assert dominance. You just take the furniture home. You're like, this. I'm this the captain. Is my, yes. <laughs> Look at me. Look at me. I'm the captain now. So, yeah. Uh, none of her furniture got moved in because I took it all. But I was trying to do trying to do better by helping out. And, oh, this is something, again, one of those things that like doesn't matter, but I like sharing with everybody now, is how my Rocket League went. And I got, oh, nice. I got on a 11-game win streak on the weekend, and it should have been 12. 13, there was not a chance. We got totally stomped in that game. But 
the 12th one was there. It totally was. And then we were up 3-1. And I'm playing standard, so 3v3. And then I think one of my teammates got just a bit too comfortable in our lead and started messing around a lot more. And so they tied it up, went to overtime. I don't know that I've won a game of overtime yet. I'm just like bad luck charm when it comes to overtime. I don't know what it is. We always get a bad kickoff and get scored on really quick. Uh, the rest of the game, it doesn't happen. Overtime, always. So that was cool because I gained like 120 MMR or something stupid. So went up a lot. And um, now I'm going to try to play a bunch of free play because I've been watching, I actually watched RLCS. That's how much of a Rocket League nerd I've become already. So they had uh, North America regionals in over the weekend, the last few weeks. And so I watched, I caught a little bit of it two weeks ago, and then I knew what time it was on this time. So I watched it on over the weekend, and it was really exciting to watch, uh, it, watch it live because then I, I knew that nobody else knew what was gonna happen yet either. So I enjoyed that as someone who doesn't watch a lot of sports. It was fun to watch something that was competitive. And uh, yeah, play a bunch of free play so I can actually try to get good. And see if make any other notes about doing better. Oh, uh, getting shoes. And I need to get rid of this extra furniture because now I have a futon and I don't have enough room for my other furniture. So I uh, got to get rid of that. But yeah, new shoes, extra furniture, more free play. That's my do better for this week. What about you? I just like how your do better statement, opening statement was, I wasn't sure if I should buy shoes or food. It's like this homeless person <laughs> trying to like make it through life. My, <laughs> yes, my approach to buying stuff hasn't changed since I was a student. So it's like my 18 year old brain still records a lot or still manages most of my finances. <laughs> yeah, why do I need shoes? I never go out. That's the problem. That's how I got to this situation. That's how I have ended up with holes in all my stuff. Because I was like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> Nobody's seeing me. It'll be fine. I'm just going to move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on my did better, um, I finished Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Mm -hmm. um, Good-ish ending. Um, the first Tomb Raider was too great. And since then, it's been sort of a downhill. Um, the you you see the ending coming like halfway through the game you're like okay i see how it's gonna end and it's just i don't know i had to just do it because it was the last game on my playstation play backlog for the for the current time being um so i was happy this is the first time since i bought my playstation that instead of putting it on the rest mode i put it i was like turn it off i'm good it, it felt like this movie moment of being like and then there's some background music being like as I'm depart away from it. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, no PlayStation for me up until April. Uh, so looking looking forward to PlayStation less existence for a little while. And yeah, I finished David and Goliath. Um, it had a lot more studies than I wanted. <laughs> so like not even enough things that's applicable if it had a lot of stories of like people who went through really tough times mm -hmm. but they don't exactly translate to life now so i was just like oh um thank you for making our present better but i can't take these lessons with me into my present and future mm -hmm. um so 
sort of a disappointing read for me. Uh, good for anybody who likes history and factualness and all that stuff. Uh, so now I'm finishing my fourth book, actually. Uh, already 2021, going going great so far. Uh, it's called Secret of the Ages. I actually like it quite a bit. It, there's a lot of like hokey stuff in it of being like the whole book is around how everybody has unlimited potential and there's this thing called the universal mind oh. that you just ask stuff for and you shall get. Oh. Um, but it's not, it, it doesn't sit on that too hard. Like that's what it says. But then it has a lot of like stories and things of this is how actionable things, not just sit there and manifest. Mm. Um, so I, I'm enjoying it. There's a quite a bit of biblical references in there and I like knowing religious readings. Uh, I don't necessarily follow them, but uh, I like knowing about them. So I'm learning about that a little bit. Um, So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that book changes my life. Okay. Uh, One of the good things it did teach me was about the subconscious mind. Okay. Of you tell your brain to help you with something later and then you sleep on it. And then we all know going going crazy with the coding problem, you sleep, next day you can solve it kind of thing. Um, but one of the things I've started doing from it is if there's a thought going in my mind, if there's something I remember or it's driving me crazy, I'll just like close my eyes, be like, hey brain, this is a cool thought. Could you remind me about this like tomorrow? And surprisingly, it's been working well. At Around that time, my subconscious or subconscious brain is just like, cool bruh, I'll, I'll chill for now. And the next day, I'll just remember the thing. I'm sure if I had a busier schedule, things will probably start getting lost. Mm-hmm. But for now, it works great. Yeah. Um, so that book has already helped make things a little bit better. I'm at the near near the end now, so we'll see. And then, yeah, I don't have anything else on my do better this week because I am packing and going to India. Woo! Yeah, looking forward to seeing my brother get married and locked down in India. <laughs> uh, maybe I can get a vaccine there while I'm there uh, so that'd be that'd be kind of cool uh, although I don't know if I want it because the success rate is only like 70% mm-hmm. uh, which is still pretty good but then I'd rather have the ones that are in North America with like 90 plus percent plus success rates right. uh, yeah so that that was my did and do better I can't believe I forgot the only legit thing that I've been doing better and need to do better, which is that AWS course. I'm about three quarters of the way through it. And we had a big like tech debt discussion at work today. And the whole time, it was nice being able to hear my brain in the background just being like, oh, we could totally use Athena for that. Or, oh, if we're putting it in S3, let's work on using it this way. Or that doesn't sound like the right use for that service. And even though I didn't have a lot to contribute to the discussion, I was mostly just meant to listen to what the seniors had to say, uh, I appreciated the fact that I at least had some of these thoughts that I wouldn't have had before because I wouldn't have known what the services were specifically meant for. I'd be like, oh yeah, S3 is for storage. Um, But I wouldn't have thought necessarily what the best uses are for it and how you might want to go about querying S3 whether you're like, for this particular use case, does it make sense to use Athena or does it make sense to use um, Elasticsearch? Like weighing these things, I would have had no idea. Having at least some idea at this point is cool. So 
that's going well, and I think I'm on track, if I can do roughly what I did last week, to finish it in the next week, week and a half, which is roughly what I was hoping for. And then I'll be able to start working on some tests, or some, what are they called? Practice tests, to see where I'm at. And if I am hopelessly behind, or if I've actually picked up on most of the information that I think I have. Because if I start doing practice exams and get like 30%, I'll know that I won't be ready for the end of February. If I get, you know, 60, 70%, there's probably a chance I can keep studying the stuff I'm not as comfortable with and get it up to speed before the end of the month. But I'd much rather put in a little bit of extra time if I need it and pass rather than try to rush it to meet some arbitrary deadline I picked and then fail. So we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. Oh, my, my favorite, one of the things I learned about English was you could also merge different sayings. So now instead of saying I'll cross that bridge when I get to it, I generally just say I'll burn that bridge. When I get to it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, but that's really cool. Uh, I, every time you talk about it, I'm just like sold more on I should do it because it's also the things I really love. And AWS has like a thousand services. Yeah. Um, and like Athena, I've never used it. I know sort of it's for data, but I, I've never used yeah. it. Uh, and it would be cool to just learn about it. So yeah, I'm. Yeah, I think by the time you take the test, I'll very much be like, okay, now I have to. The do nice that. thing too is, so this same instructor, it's it's a Udemy course. I know Udemy gets a lot of hate for people being like, you get this for free elsewhere. It's like, trust me, I tried watching the free stuff on YouTube, and it's terrible in comparison. Like there's a reason it was worth the $15 I paid for it. Like I'd much rather just take this course that's well packaged and structured and gives me the information in a good way. But this guy, he also runs courses for the other tests. And so I know that if I like this course well enough, I can already start looking forward to the developer associate course. And there's a lot of overlap there. But it's, it's cool when we're going through lectures and you'll say like, this is what you need to know for solutions architect. So I'm approaching it this way here. If you want to learn more about how to use this service, it'll be covered in the developer course, but that's not part of this exam. So I won't be covering it in this course. And so it's, it's cool to be like, okay, I kind of know what the ser service is for now. I am actually legitimately interested in learning how to use it. And so I get this, I feel encouraged to go to the next course as opposed to feeling like it's just a make work project I've set up for myself. Uh, which I think is a good sign, being three quarters of the way through and already being like, looking forward to the next one. So, yeah, yeah, I'd say cool. I'd say it's good, good way to spend time. Well, for anybody interested, then go check out this course on Udemy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess I'll have to put it in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. Do you have anything else? No, that that's all that I had on my reader and in my notes. Nice. All right. Well, I guess this is the last one before you leave for India. So hopefully we'll yeah, talk. Yeah, depending on the noise, yeah. we'll, we'll probably just text talk. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like I, by whatever the next episode is, uh, if, we, if I can't record anything because of noise or internet, they'll be more live. We don't have to do the whole shebang off three months later. That's right. This is what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So we'll have, that's why we have this nice buffer. We might churn through some of those. I'm sure we will. And 
resume in a month or so? Is that when you get back? Two months. Two months. All right, cool. Yeah, we've got 10 episodes. So yeah, we'll still have a little bit of buffer there. And yes. if we seem rusty in the next episode, it's because we are. <laughs> yes, but thank you so much for listening. Uh, hit us up on social, YouTube, wherever you can find us. Um, any feedback is great. And yeah, send us your ideas. If there's anything else you'd like us to chat about, we'll obviously keep bringing cool tech content that we think is cool. But if you don't, uh, tell us why and we can maybe do something better. That's right. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye.